Good morning. Good morning. So this morning, our format is going to be a moderated panel discussion on spiritual mentoring basics. And what that means is that I'm going to be asking questions of our panelists here, and it's going to be focused on basic questions having to do with mentoring that are applicable across the board. Our mentors are all involved in very different contexts, but we're going to, to the degree possible, we want our questions and answers to be something that everybody can get something out of it. Um, we will not be taking questions along the way, uh, but I would encourage you to please, if you have questions along the way, write them down, remember them, because our, our panelists will be here afterwards and be willing to take your questions, but otherwise there would be just no time to do what we want to do. I want everybody, as we're listening here, to you know realize spiritual mentoring has been something we've been talking about over the last year plus. And those of you that are here today, some of you may find that, that through this, God is doing a nudge on your heart to become a mentor, to come alongside of other people. At the same time, some of you may be feeling the nudge from the Lord to step out and have someone come alongside of you. That's what this is all about. If you're a community group leader, you may have the nudge to be coming alongside of someone in your group in a different way. Maybe you're in a community group and there's someone in your group that you would like to be able to come alongside of. All of these things matter. So with that, I'd like to introduce you to our panelists. <clears throat> this is Judy Hagen. She is uh, from the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. She is the lead sponsor trainer, um, and she's got tons to offer us. And Rick Johnson heads up the prison ministry here at Cedar Mill. That's both of these, the Celebrate Recovery as well as the prison ministry, are very formal um, mentoring models, <clears throat> very intensive and very formal. And then Mary Kalesi on the end is a mentor in two contexts. She mentors in what we call an organic model, <clears throat> which is also intensive. And so she's going to have, you know, kind of a different things to offer as we ask the questions. And she's also a mentor in the context of soul care, which is a considered a, an occasional set of circumstances, but she may off, also offer things about that as well. So with that, I'm going to open us in prayer. So Lord, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for every heart that's represented in this room, for the heart of our panelists. And I pray, Lord, that you would open every person's heart and ears to be able to hear what you're saying to them, to step out in whatever way you might be calling them. I pray, Lord, that this time you will use this time in a really productive way and that people will leave here with a sense of being ready to step out in any way that you have called them. And for all of this, Lord, we give you praise. Amen. Amen. So how many of you were here for the spiritual mentoring um, forum that we did last November? Several. That's cool. We're going to pick up pick up kind of where we left off in that. Um, these three panelists here 
can speak to the the basics in ways that we weren't able to get into at that. So that's why we're doing it like this today. <clears throat> so I want to. I passed out the definition of a spiritual mentor that we've been using. We used that then, and it is still here. So I just had it on your chair, so it would be there for you. So a foundational piece of a mentor is having an examined life. And it's, it's important, we see it articulated in the formal mentoring um, models. It's also articulated, I think it's in the second paragraph of the definition there. So Judy, I'd like to start with you. What is the examined life and what makes it so important for a mentor in the context of CR? or anywhere. Okay, well I'm glad to be here with all of you again, some of you. Um, so with Celebrate Recovery, um, this is a program for people who, um, you know, uh, either struggle with any hurt habit or hang up or people who, um, I really call it a blueprint for growing closer to God. And we do that through exactly what you said, through an exam in life. Um, it's a very formal program, which I'll describe a little bit later. Um, but it is a process through which um, our participants would pair up with, uh, we don't call it a mentor in CR, we call it a sponsor. And the sponsor walks with them through the program, through what we call the 12 steps, which is basically you know, feeling um, powerless um, over my life on my own will. I'm recognizing that it's God's will that I need to surrender to and then doing that and then examining all parts of our life, both the good and the bad. But the most important part of that is examining those beliefs we have about ourselves that are formed at a very early age that either cause us to act or cause us to allow things to happen. And so this program is not just for those who have struggled with things they've done, but also have been um, uh, victims of things perpetrated against them. And then um, through the examining, we also discover what our uh, character shortcomings are or those uh, characteristics that we need to give over to God to surrender to him and in most cases replace with healthy habits and healthy boundaries and then clean up our past and then go forward with a daily walk with God, daily surrendering to him, daily asking the Holy Spirit to replace what we believe is good for us with really listening through our prayer and meditation life. Um, and so the whole program is about examining our life and who we are. And then the, the ultimate goal is to discover our identity in Christ and replace that with who we think we are. That's well said. What about you, Rick? What would you add to that? So I look at this through one of our core values, which is uh, that a mentor needs to have a vital personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we talk about the passage in John 15, uh, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing, it says, and only through Christ can we bear living fruit. So we look at this as a daily examining, if you will, comparing our lives with what Scripture says on a daily basis, making sure that we are vitally connected with Christ. Otherwise, 
we bear dead fruit in our mentoring. You know, it's it's like you know some of the secular stuff that goes on out there, and we want to be in a relationship with Christ so that the fruit we bear is living. Well said, Mary. And maybe I would add to that that um, because uh, an examined life is ongoing; it's not just a one-time thing, and it's for your own personal walk with God. But the damage that can be done by an unexamined life trying to mentor somebody else is incredible. So if if your life isn't examined, if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you're not aware of both your gifting and the character flaws that are still there, even though you know Jesus, then you get in the way of what God wants to do in another's life. And you're apt to um, write the message of your mistakes and your flaws on somebody else's character. Because mentoring is walking alongside in order to gain and learn and so you have to be careful that you don't get in God's way of what he wants to do in another's life that's really well said I mean everybody has spoken not not only to the fact of the significance of the examined life and Mary you know talking about the impacts of a life unexamined and then stepping alongside of another person but all of you talked about the fact that this examined life we're talking about is ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. This is an ongoing set of circumstances daily. Um, you also, every one of you referred to that humility of spirit, you know, that humble coming alongside of someone else, humbly coming even before the Lord and who we are and who we are not. Um, that commitment to formation, to spiritual formation, I appreciated, um, as well as the compassion based on Christ's love and expressed through his spirit. And I think it was Rick that referred to John 15, 12, um, which I thought was, was significant, significant. And then Mary in the, I think you referred to the uh, Matthew, what are you doing? Matthew 15, 14 the blind guide syndrome you know and what happens when your lives are our are, are, lives are not examined so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this next question but um, in a nutshell so how does a mentee come to be with you in the more formal models um, Rick and and um, Judy is the mentor assigned mentee assigned to you do you solicit the mentee do they solicit you how does it go Which one do you want either one Fight over the mic. Oh, I got the mic. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> yeah, always hold on to the mic. Yeah. Um, okay, so at Celebrate Recovery, um, uh, the the sponsor and the sponsee will really choose each other, and so we recommend that the sponsees, you know, spend some time in the program getting to know um, the 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 men and the women, and we're very gender specific, um, and listen to their stories and see if they're. We we encourage commonality. So, for example, for the women, we have groups for those recovering from emotional, physical, sexual abuse, those who are dealing with food issues, those dealing with codependency, and those dealing with all other issues. And so if you're, if you're a woman who is um, uh, recovering from abuse, you're going to tend to want a sponsor who has that um, same shared experience. Um, and then so you would attend that group and find someone who basically you're looking for somebody that you say, I want what that person has. 
in their walk with Christ. And then um, I think you have a question that we'll get to kind of how that happens, how we formalize the relationship. And sometimes they just come up to me and say, hey, can you pick a sponsor for me? And I'll introduce them to some women or men. And prison fellowship, uh, Cedar Mill happens to be a prison fellowship bridge church. What that means is that we help guys and gals transition from prison into community life, hopefully, so that they'll be successful in community life. And it's a pretty formal process. Uh, generally, the guys and gals are involved in some sort of prison fellowship Bible study and the multiple Bible studies that are in every prison and every jail in, in Oregon. And they find out about Bridge Church mentoring. They fill out a six-page application. <laughs> it includes their testimony. Uh, it includes their criminal record. It includes the things they've been doing to try to improve themselves, family history, six pages. And so we, we get that. Uh, but first, Prison Fellowship actually sends someone in or calls them to vet them to find out, are you really serious about changing? And most of these folks are because the friends and the family and the lifestyle they had before they went into prison are what got them there. So they're, if they hit bottom, which prison is a good two-by-four, yeah. <laughs> if they hit bottom and say, I want, I want help, then they, may, they apply. Once Prison Fellowship has vetted them, for the men and women that are getting out in Washington County, we get those applications and then we start following up with a letter and then eventually go in to visit. So I'd say that's the majority of our applicants. We also stumble across others that God brings our way who may come to some of our, some ex-inmates who may come to some of our programs or from our involvement in drug court, the Washington County Correction Center, jail ministries. So we also get folks from those areas. Wow. Same question. How does a mentee come to be with you, Mary? Now we've got assigned, we've got application, and what happens in the more organic well, model? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's organic. So, so it happens because people come and say, would you mentor me? <laughs> or can we start getting together on a regular basis? And so it's, it is pretty casual. Um, of course, through soul care it's not um that's a uh, a call in to a pastor or to the ministry and then um uh, an interview uh with the person who who takes the phone calls and a prayer about who would be a good fit from the team and then the process begins but in terms of uh organic mentoring it happens because uh somebody sees you and thinks maybe that you have something in your life or something in your walk that interests them and they want to know more. And that's exactly what Judy had said, you know, be paying attention to something you see in somebody else and you want that. Um, Rick's context is a, as an application process, mm -hmm. you know, because people come from a very different place of um, having been in prison uh, and the need to be sure that people are serious. And I'm, I'm going to ask more questions about that later on. Mm -hmm. So um, how do you determine the overall focus of your mentoring relationship? We've heard, you know, various intakes, as it were. Um, and so, Judy, I'd like to start with you in the more formal structure of CR. Can you tell us a little bit about that structure? 
So um, setting up the sponsor-sponsee relationship is, is structured. We actually have a sponsor agreement form that we use where you would exchange you know, personal contact information, and then you agree together um, uh, certain things, um, what the sponsee agrees to do, which would be working the CR program, attending meetings, um, whatever the two of you decide. Um, you also set up healthy boundaries of things that you won't do. Uh, for me, you know, I tell the women I sponsor, there's three things that I will never do. I won't bail you out of jail. I'll never loan you money, and you can't stay at my house. Other than that, you can call me anytime. Um, and, <laughs> and then um, the final one is, so if it doesn't work out, because these are not lifetime commitments, how will we severe the relationship where there's no harm done? And so what uh, I recommend is that if at any point the sponsor or the sponsee says to the other, it's just no longer a fit. That's all it needs to be said, and you can, because as you go through seasons of life and recovery, your needs may change, and you may meet someone else who would be a better sponsor. And I've fired sponsees that just, you know, they want the benefits of the program, but they won't work it, and they won't attend it, and I'd rather, you know, be of service to someone who really wants what we have. <laughs> I appreciate um, I appreciate what you're saying, and I want to encourage everybody. You know, Judy's using the word sponsor, sponsee. You can also be looking at it mentor, mentee, because what she's saying thing. is exactly the same thing. And in boundaries, I really appreciate the boundaries that you're talking about because they also go, go across all the spectrum. I want to kind of move... Next, kind of to Mary, to the informal, and ask kind of the same question. How do you determine the overall focus of your mentoring relationship? How does that play out? Well, that's determined by the mentee. Because when somebody comes and says, I want, I want to get start getting together with you, I'm, I'd like for you to mentor me, then we usually get together one time and, and I ask, what is it that you want? Because people want different things when they want to mentor. And sometimes they want something very specific, like um, sometimes it's, uh, well, I want to learn how to pray, or um, I'm having trouble in my marriage, and I just need to have a godly perspective, or I'm struggling with kids, and um, you've got to, and I know you struggled, so can you walk with me through that? And so it's very specific. But uh, lots of times it's not. It's that somebody has this vague sense of needing to grow and they're not sure what they need and but they they look at you and for some reason they think you have grown <laughs> and uh so and so it's this um i mean i had one young woman say i want to be a woman of impact and uh that's that was what her goal was. So we got together and talked, what would that look like for you? And begin to see in ways in which she's already impacting mm. people and the world around her. But we maintain this relationship and keep talking about what are you doing? How are you growing? Where is uh, where's God taking you on this journey? So, um, And sometimes it's just really vague. Like, I just know I need somebody older and I qualify for most of them, uh, and, um, or somebody who's been the, <clears throat> on the journey for a longer time uh, just to walk with me. And 
So that's that's how we start. I appreciate that statement too. When somebody comes to you and says, you know, I, I want to be a person of impact, mm -hmm. and so you don't say, okay, well, here we go. Yeah. I give you these ten things, and before you know it, you're going to be a person of impact. But to be able to stop and say to that person, okay, what does this look like to you? What does your life look like right now? Where are you already being a person of impact? I think that that's really good. So now, Rick, the prison ministry intake process is um, <coughs> significant. So in a nutshell, what are you looking for as you look for the overall focus of your yeah. mentoring relationship? So first of all, this question actually gets to our second core value, which is the idea that transformation is not only possible, it's commanded. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So with that in mind, um, we have a tool, and there's really two ways we, we, we get input on that. One is a tool, it's called a, a, an assessment form, and the prisoner inmate fills this out while they're still in prison, and they identify areas spiritually, physically, mentally, socially, financially, where they are struggling, where they are stable, where they you know, might need help, and they do this self-assessment and then write down some areas where they would like to grow. And then we use that input to help them create some SMART goals. Are you familiar with this acronym? Um, SMART is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Right. So you help them, create, help them create the goals. You don't create the goals for them. You help them create the goals, and then on an ongoing basis, you can you know, work with them toward those goals so that by the time they get ready to get out, we have found that it's those who are prepared when they're ready to get out that are more successful on the outside versus those who wait till they get out to start getting ready. So it's that assessment form that's one way. But then also it's the each time we meet with them, it's the listening to what is the current hurt or pain point in their life. It's like, well, I'm sorry your mother died, but let's talk about this assessment form. You know, that's, you know, that's not what we want to do. So often the conversation really starts with uh, the particular thing they're struggling with on that individual week. And if we don't get to the assessment form that week, that's fine because you're dealing with what the, emer the, the urgent need is. That's really well said, and I think that it's pretty cool to watch the mentors up here in all the different contexts and some things being said, and they're all going, yeah, you know, and the other one's going, yeah. So pay attention. You know, these things do go across the board. That, so, you know, those, those responses are really excellent. So to kind of get into, you know, just a really very basic nut and bolt, how often do you guys meet with your mentee? Is it every week, every other week? And this is kind of going to be a, a four-pointer. So just be thinking about it, and then I'll just give you guys the mic. So not only how often do you meet, but how long is a typical meeting? Is it an hour? Is it two hours? What do you find works best? How long does a mentoring relationship typically go on? And is there a role for taking notes during, after, at some point? So, Mary, do you want to start with that? Sure. What was the first question? <laughs> how, how do you decide oh. how often to meet and how long is a typical okay. meeting? Uh, that's a decision that's made between myself and the mentee. Because um, life's very busy, and so I've met with some people, people weekly 
I've met with some people twice a month and sometimes once a month. Um, and once a month is usually after we've met for a while on a weekly or bi-monthly basis so that we establish a relationship. Um, how long it goes on? Oh, oh, the, oh, typically about an hour and a half. Um, more than that, uh, you, you're, we, you both have things that you are starting to think about needing to do. But an hour and a half is pretty good timing. Um, an hour to me is just a little bit short. And so uh, we, we typically go for an hour and a half. And I, I have some relationships that I started in probably in 90. Hmm. And um, the person has moved away, but we still occasionally get in touch and pick up where we left off. And then uh, other other uh, folks we meet who, who are more specific about what they wanted out of the mentoring relationship. Typically, it doesn't last as, uh, over as long a period of time. Um, but that's all because it's organic. It happens. It flows with the relationship. The nice thing is that um, for both of us, it becomes a friendship. Which it goes way beyond uh, any kind of um, hierarchical or anything like that. It just doesn't. And so I'm deeply enriched by my mentees. They keep me young. So what about the role of note-taking, if any? I don't. You know, when I was pastor here, I had to. When I was on the soul care team, I had to. <laughs> because it was required by uh, the church... Uh, record keeping because of all kinds of legal things. What's what do you liability? Use? Liability. Uh, but I don't keep records, and um, even though my memory's not all that great, we always pick up where we left off and move forward. So um, I don't need to take notes, and I choose not to. <laughs> That's good. So, Rick, what, what about you? I'll give you the same questions so that you know yeah. what they are. How often it. you have them? Yeah. So, <laughs> a lot of our notes. He's a lot notes. of our um, length of meeting is really contingent upon the restrictions laid upon us by the Oregon Department of Corrections. For example, um, Lois Bennett goes into mentor inside Coffee Creek, and they won't let her have more than thirty minutes because the prison is so crowded. There's so many requests for visits. So she has to squeeze it in in 30 minutes and supplement that with letter writing. Uh, for some of the guys, you know, um, like Jonathan Mitchell was in Snake River, which is in Ontario. Uh, Lake Ridge is down east of Klamath Falls. So we're not about to make those drives, you know, on a regular basis, and you know, if, if at all. So a lot of our mentoring is by mail to start off with. Uh, there's a prison at, near the airport, Columbia River, and then there's a prison in Salem. Uh, Marv Abbey goes to Salem almost every week to visit three guys. Mm -hmm. So he just schedules them back to back mm -hmm. and uh, goes in to see the three guys on a regular basis. So it really depends on what the Department of Corrections allows us to do when, we're, when they're inside. Now, when they get out, it's different. Um, Prison Fellowship has a thing called the Rule of Threes, um, three minutes, three, uh, three hours, three days, etc. So the first three minutes... It's critical for us to be there when they walk out the gate. That is, 
know, a momentous occasion. And two of the guys that we've mentored, we didn't do that, and they've disappeared off the radar screen. Even though they've been faithful to meet with us in prison, I think Judy probably has experienced some of this too. They just disappeared. So those first three minutes are critical. The next three hours are pretty critical as well. We go with them to meet the parole officer, and we make sure they're stable in a housing situation. Then the next three days, we really make ourselves at their disposal because there's all sorts of needs. You know, they usually come out of prison with only one set of clothes, so we go shopping with them and then watch them as they stare at the aisle because they've only had one shampoo choice, and all of a sudden there's 30. <laughs> And they're just overwhelmed, so just walking through them with that, helping them get on food stamps, just really we find ourselves being a chaperone for the first three days, just helping them get, get level. And then for three weeks, then we can start getting more back into the spiritual things. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we, there's certain basic needs that have to be met before we do that. And then we can start meeting with them, talking about their issues, uh, encouraging them as they look for jobs, they look for, you know, mending relationships and things like that. So that's kind of an overview of the time frame. And so how long does the typical mentoring relationship continue? So uh, like, like Mary, you know, the first guy I mentored, we still, um, I think we, we met weekly for about a year doing Bible study. Then it went monthly, and now it's occasionally. But, you know, he's on Facebook. We text. So... A lot of it is by, you know, osmosis, if you will, that way. So it can go on. The relationship goes on for years because we're friends now. So um, while the relationship goes on for years and, the, you know, the relationship develops into friendship, is it like for the first year it's very intensive or because you start out very intensive? Yeah, I think the first year you, once you understand their particular needs, you may do Bible study or specific things to address those needs and as time goes on and they become more stable and they um, it's like a baby I guess as they grow up as they become more mature and able to feed themselves and it you know um, then you don't have to babysit as much really <laughs> and uh, so that helps in your context is there a rule for note-taking uh, the Department of Corrections will not allow us to take paper into prison mm -hmm. because why, because why? They're afraid we might slide some cocaine in between the sheets of paper. I mean, people have transported drugs in Bibles, you know, so they're just overly cautious. So, you know, uh, we can follow up with letter writing maybe on the outside. Um, we can't even take those assessment sheets in, which is real frustrating, so we have to do a lot by memory. But on the outside, um, I don't take notes either. I, okay. But follow up with, you know, email and texts. I say that for people that are really into taking notes, you know. I think it's important to recognize where various mentors are coming from. Yeah. So, Judy, same question. Um, how do you decide how often to meet? Is it every week, every other week, monthly? And how long does a typical meeting last? Okay. So um, that's one of the elements that we will discuss when you're setting up the agreement between the sponsor and the sponsee. But typically, um, especially with a newcomer to celebrate recovery, um, if I'm sponsoring a woman, I will tend to meet with her on a weekly basis. And most of the time, it's just meeting up at Sherry's over coffee, getting to know each other. 
And then once uh, she starts actively working the program, we call it working the program, the steps, um, then we're going to meet uh, more often. Now, during this time, if there's any struggles or crises, uh, she can call me at any time. And then we also agree, like, how we're going to do that. Is it going to be meeting or text? Um, when we get to step four, which um, um, uh, examine life, which we call a moral, taking a moral and spiritual inventory of yourselves, that's a very formal and detailed process. And so after the sponsee uh, fills out the worksheets that we use for that, then I'll put aside two to three entire afternoons and we go over this and through this and really look at it and then um, and then you know after they've got done working the 12 steps it it, it becomes uh, really more maintenance and then where do they want to go from there and so we might uh, fall back to every other week um, I'm sponsoring women um, you know for eight nine years that they're now sponsoring and their sponsees are sponsoring because that's the whole idea of the program is to give back and be of service so a lot of the meetings uh, evolve into um, mentoring them on how to mentor as opposed to their own program. And then, of course, if you're honestly working um, a, a continual inventory, and we actually have a step called daily inventory, the new issues are going to crop up. You know, I entered recovery 14 years ago, um, and I'll, you know, freely admit that I'm a recovering alcoholic. And, um, but then uh, what, I, what I didn't get out of it the first time was how to fill that hole in my soul with Jesus and nothing but Jesus. And so I, I developed an addiction to food. So then I'm working a program on food issues. And then as I'm working that, so why am I eating to comfort myself? Well, it's because of the abuse I suffered as both a child and with my first marriage. So now I'm working the steps again for recovery from abuse. So if you're being honest, um, issues will continue to come up. So it's not a one-time thing. We don't do graduation where you get a diploma and off you go. It's an evolving one. Well, that's such so. as life, you yes. know, as yeah. we grow and yeah. especially as that inner transformation occurs, the Lord brings up things in our lives in an ongoing way. Right. He doesn't dump it all on us all at one time. Yeah. You know, sometimes we have seasons where things are really going quite well and, yep. you know, mm -hmm. we're feeling pretty good about it and then yeah. he'll bring something up. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an ongoing process of discipleship and even right. the process of multiplication, right. which is something we all ought to be working mm -hmm. towards, you know, is, is that process of multiplication. Yeah. And some people come into the program and they don't even know what they, they just come and they go, I'm just struggling. Mm -hmm. It could be with faith. It could be with life. They can't, they can't name it. And so in that case, I'm going to spend a lot more time so we can get down to what the root issue is. And uh, So what about the role yeah. of note-taking in your context? No, absolutely There you not. have it. <laughs> uh, you know, no, it's, you know, because what I'm really there for is to, to listen and then to be able to, um, you know, prod. And uh, um, I see it as, as guiding someone along their walk. So, no, we, we don't do note-taking. But they do a lot of writing. Right, and that's in okay. The, in the process. That's yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's the, I, I appreciate hearing, you know, at least the, the united <laughs> thing that we don't take notes. Right. So yeah. it's an internal thing that we're going to get into more as we go along as well. So I'm interested in how does relationship building occur from meeting to meeting? 
Um, Rick, you had, you know, you were setting out how things happen in your context. Um, how do you like to begin? And this isn't in your first three, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you gave the three, three, three. Um, how do you like to begin your meetings? Do you have a favorite starter question or activity to kind of break the ice? Yeah. Well, to be honest, the meetings usually start at a fairly superficial level, like how about those ducks, you know? <laughs> For guys, it's all about sports. And so, uh, you know, that, that helps kind of get the conversation going. But to get it below the surface, it takes a specific question, I think, or a specific intentional question maybe is the right way to say that. So I usually ask something like, so what's God been doing in your life? And that helps focus the conversation on God, which is what you want to do. And it helps them examine, okay, how did my past week go? And, you know, maybe they'll say something like, oh, he's teaching me patience right now. And then that'll allow me to ask another question. You know, like, okay, so how is he teaching you patience? And then we'll get into, you know, the issues that he's struggling with. So that's kind of the question that I like to use is what's God doing in your life? I bet that that goes across the board. You know, to start out superficially and whatever that looks like. Hi, how are things going? It's yeah, good to tell see me you. about yourself. Yeah, what's yeah. going on? And mm-hmm. then to go a little bit deeper um, in what is God doing in your life. Um, so you were saying, Rick, that that helps you focus mm-hmm. your meeting as well in terms of what God is doing in your life. That's correct. So that helps address any immediate needs. And then we have this, you know, the assessment form that I mentioned earlier in the background so that that can also be a tool that helps us focus. And this whole thing actually gets to another one of our core values, which is uh, we believe it's really the Word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit that's mm-hmm. going to change people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's not our wonderful counseling. You know? <laughs> it's not our wonderful godly lives. Um, and I'm sure, Marion, you know, you guys yeah. get that. It's not us. It's really pointing these guys to God's Word. And, um, you know, I think of... Uh, you know, verses like Hebrews 4.12, where the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the division of soul and spirit, even to the division of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it's really the Word that comes in and, and makes the transformation. And I could talk for this for hours. I've just read this really <laughs> exciting book by Dr. Carolyn Leaf on Switch on Your Brain, I think it is, about how... In your brain, when you think a thought, a file folder is actually created. And the more often you go to that file folder, the more often you you built a worn path. And for many people, it becomes the default. You know, like, I'm a miserable person. I'm not worthy. And so it's God's word that can plow up that land and, you know, do the transformation. So, I think in a, in a moment I'm going to address the question specifically with all of you about the role of the Holy Spirit. But before I get into that... Um, Mary, how do you like to begin your meetings? Do you have a favorite starter question? What's up? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> I like That's that. Um, yeah, it it just depends why why we're meeting and you know and uh, what the relationship has become. Um, but often people need to debrief what's been going on in their immediate lives before we get moving forward on other things. Sometimes um, I've used um, a lifeline when I don't know a person well. And so I'll ask them to uh, draw a picture of their life and put significant people and events on it. And I do the same thing, and we share them together so that we both have a sense of who we are as we meet together and what 
our lives bring forward to that moment. But uh, often in the in these more informal uh, mentoring situations, people want to talk about well, maybe not the ducks for the for the gals, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, if people are uh, struggling with work issues, we start there and so on. Hmm. Yeah. How about you, Judy? How do you start out your meetings? Do you have a favorite? Uh, well, we always start with prayer. I'm so, sure you know, let's, before, yeah, before we start. Um, and then it really depends on uh, where we're at. Uh, but for the most part, once we get into just regular meeting, um, it's really important, I believe, to keep it balanced. Um, especially if they are in the process of their inventory and they're getting into some really deep and hurtful things. Um, and so I will ask them, you know, uh, give, me, give me one victory and then mm -hmm. one challenge that you mm -hmm. faced this last week. And sometimes the victory is they're still coming. They're still here. Um, and, uh, and then from there, we'll just launch right into, you know, whatever, whatever the topic is. Um, if we're on at that point where we're looking at, um, what are the beliefs about ourselves, um, that cause us to either allow things or to act out, you know, I might say, you know, what are the, the let's look at your inventory and these, these top three beliefs you have about yourself, which are commonly, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy. Um, and then uh, we'll challenge that. So, you know, can you name three people who love you? And most people can't. So that disproves that. It's not a truth. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. false belief, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so um, it, it's pretty focused. But at the beginning, um, yeah, you know, g give me one victory and one challenge. That, that's week. great. I also appreciate that in the context of Celebrate for Recovery, for those that don't, you don't know, you know, Judy's referring to the steps. And each one of those steps have a biblical basis. Yeah. It's not just They're all these. based on the Beatitudes. That's right. And so, mm -hmm. it, you know, she's coming from something that's significant for every one of us. So I, I appreciate that. So each one of you have referred to the Holy Spirit one way or another in what you've said so far. So I want you all to take a shot at this. And I think I'm going to start with you, Mary, on this. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in your mentoring as a mentor? Well, um, yeah. So what can you say that's not of him? So when I'm meeting with people, my prayer is that God would keep my ears open to what he's saying, mm -hmm. that I'm listening carefully to what the person's saying, that I'm um, able to discern uh, if there's something that needs to be addressed or if I should just listen. Um, and um, prayer, um, you know, having that opportunity to pray for those times before we meet, to pray while we're meeting. So often I have three conversations going, one with the person sitting across with me, one with the Holy Spirit who is here between us and in us both, and then one inside of me that says, wow, you struggle with that too. Mm -hmm. Because I am like my mentees in so many ways. And um, the Holy Spirit reminds me of that and reminds me that I have a long journey to go in my faith walk. And that he's using what they say and what they struggle with to remind me or to bring up to my mind 
listen, pay attention. This person is teaching you something about how I work. Now, if I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit, I miss all that. So he's critical in any time we meet. Um, And the great thing is, he is in me. He is in the other person, even if they're unredeemed at this point, because God's fingerprints are all over their life. So he is actively at work, and he stands there between us and is the filter through whom we speak to one another. So, I mean, he's critical. He's critical. I mean, I don't know what else to say, but amen. 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 Same question, Rick. I don't know what I can add other than just to reinforce that he does the work and he's the forgotten member of the Trinity often. And it's good to remind ourselves that he's does the work. He's the one that will take the word that you share and bring it to their remembrance. He's the one that will interpret your prayers, even though you may not know exactly what to pray. You know, he prays for you. Uh, He brings to your remembrance the things that Jesus taught you. So there's there's many promises that. He'll be there to help. Um, you know, I, I said that we always open in prayer together, and, and a part of that prayer that um, um, I, I do each time is to ask the Holy Spirit to remove the filters from our ears and our eyes and our heart to really listen to not only what we're saying, but what the other person is saying. And then throughout the conversation, you know, it's very easy to quickly pick up if they're filtering again through a a specific lens Um, and so it's actually pretty continual Um, and then um, no matter what their challenge or their struggle is is you know trust the holy spirit because you can you can believe but if you don't trust then there's no hope and so just trusting and you know my, personally for me i start each day with you know please you know wrap your arms around me and let me know i'm safe and uh, let me hear what you have in store for me today and if you ask you know the holy spirit will tell you so um yeah and i think the more you reinforce that with your sponsees and it becomes um it becomes easier for them to do it and and it's a journey it's a part of the it, journey. it is a journey yeah. and it's really about yeah, yeah letting go and letting god um so you're in the context of your meetings and like mary you were talking about these three conversations that are going and i'm sure that you're all relating to the same thing here so the holy spirit says something into you there's a question that comes or some such thing um so as you go to say this to your mentee what is the role of an open-ended question does everybody know what an open-ended question is here or anybody not okay what's the role of an open-ended question well um to primarily use them if you can because um sometimes they're hard to create in the moment but open-ended questions allow for uh, the person to really uh, explore what they are thinking with you if you ask yes and no's a lot then you really are guiding and shaping that conversation. If you ask open-ended questions, then the Spirit's really uh, free to move that, um, the conversation. So 
you know, there's kind of a cautiousness too about not hammering something that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit. Right. I am hearing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, that's where humility comes in, because uh, sometimes I'm hearing, but what I'm hearing is from my past or my hang-ups. The filter. The filter, and so um, sometimes I bite my tongue. And uh, I think I've got the perfect answer for them. But really, most people don't want your advice. And it doesn't uh, carry as far as them listening and them figuring it out. And your encouragement and spurring them on in their thinking process through, through the kind of questions you ask. There are questions that lead to growth and life. And there are questions that intimidate and shut down a conversation. And often, closed questions tend to be that second kind. They can be that kind that close things down. That doesn't mean you never ask them. You know, you of course you do. But you try to focus on open-ended things, at mm. least in my context. How many of you have teenage sons? So I think they're good I'm practice s- for this. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're great practice. My teenage grandson, you know, I'll ask him how he's doing. Fine. <laughs> what happened at school today? Nothing. <laughs> so unless you ask more penetrating, open-ended questions, you know, you're not going to get much from them. And so I think they're good practice to help really peel back the onion to find out what's really going on in there. That's good. Judy, what would you say? You know, most of our um, questions, so as you're working the steps, the program, we use, uh, we actually use participant guides, which are questions depending on what step and topic you're on. And most of them are open-ended. And if it's just conversations that I'm having with my sponsees, I will tend to say, you know, um, you know, if you're willing, could you you know, describe this or that, but they're, they're not yes or no. Have you done this or do you do that? Um, so, um, yeah. And, you know, towards the, towards the end of the inventory, I'll say, uh, um, so, you know, what in your life were you hoping to never tell anybody, you know, to take to the grave? And I'll tell you what, even though they said they'd done a thorough inventory, everybody's got that one thing wow. they were hoping never. And then it just, it, it's wow. organic. It just opens up. But, yeah, so tell me about um, are you willing to describe? And then it also gives them the option of saying I'm not willing to go there. And some people need to take it in baby steps. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd say 90% of our questions, whether my own or from the program, they are open-ended. So. Wow. Um, let me see. So now I'm going to ask about the role of your own spiritual journey and how that relates to your mentoring relationships. And I, what I mean by that is um, how does what has happened or what is happening in your own life relate to what you're doing? Mary, you can start. Well, it's critical, I think, um, to what happens between us. And uh, I don't think we asked this, but um, one of the commitments I make internally, if it's not spoken, and I expect it from my mentees, is that we will be honest with each other. And so I I believe, for in the kind of mentoring I do, that... Uh, my mistakes and my problems are just as much a point of learning um, as theirs. 
So I want to be open about what I struggle with too. And so if I've had a week or maybe we've we've said, well, let's both do this for this week, and I never did it, then I want to say that and tell them uh, why. And we can talk about it, and they'll ask how they can pray for me. Um, it doesn't muddle the roles because we're still there in a sense both learning from each other. I mean, I think that's one of the things that – Recognizing that this is not about you and it's not about some exalted position you hold in the other person's life, but it's about what the Holy Spirit wants to do that keeps that can keep you open to sharing and being transparent. So I More forget of a transparency. Yes. What was the question? <laughs> the question was the role of your own oh, spiritual yeah. right. journey in yes. the life of this person right. portrayed into right. the life of this person. Right. So, so I do try to be open with that and share what's happening in my life. Or um, what's happened in the past? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, yes, because significantly when God brings people to me, we often have links hmm. that we didn't know about before. But we both have a fear problem or we both grew up with alcoholic parents or we both have kids that are driving us crazy or putting us in therapy. Uh, and so we, we have things that the Holy Spirit brings to light that uh, are significant. And then That's I can okay. say, this is, you know, I experienced this too. Or, um, and I, can t- I, don't try, I try not to give a pattern for how to get out of it because life's uh, journey isn't like that. And how God led me through it the leading is the important part, not the steps that were taken, um, because they rarely fit every situation. But the fact that God was faithful or that I learned this or that even that I tried this and, uh, and it, uh, it was difficult, you know, those things can be helpful to a mentee. So, Judy, why don't you start? You take the same question. How does what is the role of your own spiritual journey in your mentoring relationship? It, it's critical to the process. So, as I'm working with a sponsee, um, um, as we're going through the program, working steps, or even just having casual conversations um, with everything that um, she would be sharing, um, I'm going to share my experience because what we found is. You know, a lot of us, you could have, you know, 10 women in a room and our life stories are all insanely different, but we all arrived at the same point of needing to know how to, again, you know, fill the hole in our soul with God and be able to find our identity in him. And so even though we, we can come from different backgrounds, um, sharing the experience is, is is one that we do quite often. So whether I'm asking about uh, what happened as a child or what issue they're struggling with now, um, I'll say, you know, um, uh, you know, if I could share my experience. And it does a couple things. One is I immediately feel like, oh, I'm not alone. It wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. So there's there's someone else who had a shared because a shared experience is what binds you, which is another reason why we we try to pair up people with shared experience, um, and then and then it gives them hope. So 
if they're um, and again you know we don't sponsors and uh, CR we don't hold ourselves out to be probably when I mentioned I constantly finding new issues to work on um, but if I can share my experience with them and and I've been in the program for 14 years and, and look at where I started and and where I'm at now spiritually and in life it gives them that hope and without hope there'd be no reason to continue on in the wow. program um, so um, so I'm yeah. sure it looks a little bit different for you Rick yeah it takes me back to when I was at the University of Texas and a man chose to invest his life in me. And I am so grateful for the foundation that he helped lay in my life to understand the importance of Bible study and scripture memory and prayer. And, you know, that foundation has served me so well throughout the years. And so recognizing that, you know, gives me uh, the recognition that God's given me something that I need to in turn pass on. Um, Howard Hendricks has said that every person needs a Barnabas, a Paul, and a Timothy in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Paul, someone who can mentor you. A Barnabas, someone who can encourage you more of a peer. And a Timothy, someone in whose life you can invest your, your, yourself. So even today, I meet weekly with Lee Braze. He's my, he's my Paul. And he encourages my heart. We you know, talk together. We pray. He, he keeps me focused on God. I meet weekly with Doug Marshall, who's my Barnabas. You know, we encourage each other uh, in the ministries that we have. And then, of course, I'm mentoring as well. So those relationships to me help keep my spiritual journey vital, as does that whole principle we talked about at the beginning, you know, the John 15 idea of just being vitally connected to Jesus Christ. That's that peer co-mentoring thing. Please. Uh, I also wanted to add that, you know, so I have a sponsor. I've had the same sponsor for 14 years, and I continually meet with her on a regular basis. So it's not like once you become a a mentor or sponsor, you're not continuing your own. And what she's really taught me was, again, that, you know, having that trust. So. Uh, whether it was, you know, the the drugs and alcohol from 30 years ago or the first marriage that was uh, physically abusive um, or any of these issues that I've dealt with, um, I've learned that, you know, God knew back in 1985 that in 2008 he wanted to start a Celebrate Recovery at Cedar Mill Bible Church. And that's why he brought me through that so that we could, in turn, be of service to others. And um, and that's what I learned from my sponsor, and that's what I hope to pass down. And I think that's really you know, important. That, you know. that he will work all things towards his good purpose, just not in the timing we like. That's right. right and how <laughs> significant it is mm-hmm. to have that, that peer co-mentoring going yeah. on. You know, yeah. it's an and ongoing thing. She meets thing. with her sponsor, and when that's she's right. out of town, that's her right. sponsor is my grand sponsor. So I'm also a <laughs> grand, grand sponsor, sponsor to all the women I sponsor who sponsor others. When they're unavailable, they know they can call. Me. I think that, that's really go. significant yeah. because we don't yeah. want to leave people with a right. with a feeling that okay, so now you're in a position to mentor. You have arrived. Yeah, as no, or, you uh, know that's not no, ever going to be the case. Now your work really starts. That's right. Yeah. And we have accountability teams too. So we encourage every man and woman to have three or four people who are at the same level as them, as CR that you can reach out to encourage to attend meetings, to reach out if you can't reach your sponsor, and, uh, yeah, to encourage. I love how you said it, the Paul, the Barnabas, and the right. team of day. I'm going to use that. I, want, I wanted to add, too, even as I got into this, I definitely wasn't, I hadn't arrived. And one specific thing that God really pointed out to me, 
early on in prison ministry, it, it became obvious to us that there were a lot of sex offenders involved in prison ministry. And my first reaction was, no way am I going to get involved with sex offenders. You know, that's off limits. And then God very gently pointed out to me that according to Jesus' standard, mm -hmm. I'm a sex offender. Hmm. You know, in my mind, I've lost it. So confession time. But, you know, he just helped me be aware that, um, you know, I shouldn't judge these folks because in his eyes I am too. So I think there's an ongoing uh, unveiling of those things in your own life that need to be addressed. That's back to the examined life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Very cool. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Mary, or we're okay with that? Okay. Um, I think we've kind of talked about the, the role of the Holy Spirit, and I'm wondering if, um, if you feel like you've answered in terms of how does the importance of the Holy Spirit relate in responding to various questions of the mentees. Do you feel, you know, they ask you a question. Do you... What's the role of the Holy Spirit in your answer? You may have answered it already, or you may want to go a little bit deeper. No, I, I think uh, it's that three-way conversation. And um, if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, then I'm more able to respond in a way that doesn't get in God's way. You know, um, giving my advice uh, rather than listening for what he might be prompting. Sometimes uh, the word is exactly what's called for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes mm -hmm. you wait and hold. Um, but you have to be listening for that. You know, what is, what is God saying to me right now as I sit here as one through whom he might speak? Um, then I have to measure my words. Yeah. Either Do you want to add anything to that? I think Mary said it very I think okay. Mary said it very well. Just one thought comes to my mind with a recent circumstance. Mm -hmm. My mentee recently was telling me about a problem he was having, and then he ended the, the, his discussion of his problem with, I know there's a verse for that. <laughs> and I said, yes, God has something to say about everything, but, and then like Mary said, you know, the, the word is critical, but it's timely. and timely. Yeah. 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 That's good. And I would just add that, um, we don't have all the answers, and so I'd say at least a third of the time, my sponsee may ask me something, and and I say I need to spend some time with the Holy Spirit to hear. Um, you know, I don't. What one thing I won't do is just answer off the cuff just to have an answer, um, and so I'll pray and meditate on it that day and the next, and then we'll get back together, or just I may call her, um, but. Yeah, I don't presume to know the answers, and I'm not good with uh, scriptures yet. And, you know, I, I can say, yeah, somewhere in the Bible it says something like this. That's about as good as I can get. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and, and part of that spending spending time with him to hear what, um, what words he wants me to express to my sponsee. But I also, yeah, will take the yeah. time to go to the. So there's a the lot book. of self-restraint. Yeah as well in oh, being yeah. A, yeah. a mentor. You can do a lot of damage by answering off the cuff and not really And hear, when you do, <laughs> because I've had numerous occasions yeah. to drive away yeah. from my meetings and pray, oh God, erase that from I their minds. <laughs> Cover them. Yeah. Don't let any of that penetrate. I'm so sorry I spoke without listening to you. Right. So I We I have admit, a step for that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that 
was when my When you step. were wrong, not if. <laughs> I, I wish it said if, but it says when you were wrong, yeah, promptly make amends and... Uh, well, and sometimes you and don't I, know. I, I do it more often than I you like. Know, I sometimes call and say, you know, I uh, yeah, I need to yeah, that's right. Really or uh, or I wish I could have given you more time, or I was short, or uh, or I don't, I don't know the answer you right work, now. You know, in the middle of something. Yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> we have a step for that. That's good. <laughs> so, Mary, you started out um, kind of a few minutes ago talking about an expectation, an expectation of honesty. And I do want to get into expectations a little bit. Um, what do you find are your mentees' expectations of you generally? And then on the flip side, the expectations of you, you know, of your, ment- of your mentee, I expect my mentee, I expect to be honest or, you know, vice versa. What are those kinds of expectations? Boy, this is something I should have asked my mentees. <laughs> but my sense is that they expect me to be present with them, to be honest with them, and to love them. And I doubt that they would say love them out loud, but I think that's what a mentee really wants, is they want somebody who really cares about them and their journey. And... Um, so I think those maybe three things are are um, are critical from their point of view. From my point of view, I expect them to come when they say they're going to come or to let me know that they can't. I expect their honesty. And other than that, I, I really keep it pretty open because um, I'm, I'm not in a position where I have an organizational expectation of me or of them. And so I try to keep it pretty open um, so that the times we are together can be used in ways that are profitable for them and um, and where God can be working in both of us. I really, I really have come to see how very much I have gained by being a mentor. They have mentored me. Uh, so many times and um, so I don't have other than you know just be there if you say you're going to be there and be real and we'll we'll take it from there God can lead us how he will we're going to get into that question about what have we learned about ourselves through being a mentor in a while as well so expectations to you Rick yours of uh, the people that you mentor and vice versa there's a range of expectations I think and I think I was surprised by the first guy that I started mentoring in prison because when he came into the room he started crying and said I can't believe someone from the outside cares for me Wow! and I'd say his expectation was seat was blank <laughs> he was surprised you know and, and excited that someone would actually come into prison to visit him so for for some of them it's like the other guys uh, um, it may differ but you know that's a very common expectation they so many of them are their family has written them off because they're in prison um, their friends have written them off you know so they're really encouraged from someone from the outside and what I look for is I look for someone who really does have a heart to change and a heart for God and you know I don't know if I did this right or not but there was one particular individual that I'm thinking of right now. He'd been in prison five times. 
and he sent in his application, and I talked with him, and I just didn't have the sense, I don't know if the Holy Spirit or is the flesh, but I just didn't have the sense that he was serious about changing. And, you know, I made the decision that if I'm going to be a steward of the time and resources God's given me, I have limited time, and I want to invest that in the lives of people who are going to respond. So, right or wrong, that's the decision I made with this particular individual. If he was serious about changing, yes, I probably did. I, this has been a couple years ago. But, you know, they call these people con men for a reason. <laughs> so you can talk more about that offline or if we have time yeah. for questions. Um, what about you, Judy? Well, the basis of our program is is honesty um, and also confidentiality. I remember when I came in, it was like, okay, I'm ready to get honest. And someone said, but we're all about rigorous honesty. Rigorous. I didn't, I didn't know if I was ready to go there. Um, and so um, a lot of people coming in, um, it's amazing. They expect, if they're honest, to be judged. They expect to be loved according to how bad their experience or sin is. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's wonderful to watch. Um, you know, I have yet to see anyone come in to celebrate recovery who is not loved unconditionally. Um, I've never seen judgment in our program. And you're just immediately, you've got a group of brothers and sisters in Christ who have your back. And so they don't expect any of that. And then once you develop the sponsor-sponsee relationship, um, you know, we, we set out those expectations when we sit down. And, yeah, I expect them to, you know, say what you do and do what you say. And they expect the same from me. Uh, mostly they, um, mm -hmm. uh, whether they expect it or not, they're just hoping that, you know, someone cares enough to invest in them. And we care a lot. So, wow. um, yeah. That's really well said. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of us, when we come in, we, we don't even know who we are. I remember when I came in, my sponsor said, you know, so tell me about you, you know, just be yourself. And he's like, I don't know what myself is because I'd gone through my entire life being a chameleon. I was one way at church and I was one way at work and I was one way with my family. And I didn't know who the real me was. And that's what the journey is really that's about. Right, Not only finding out who we are, but mm -hmm. then more importantly, finding out who we are in Christ. Mm -hmm. How does he view us? So, the ongoing yeah. journey. Yeah. Well yeah. said. So for all of you, you've been a mentor for a while, many different sets of circumstances. And so what stands out to you as having been something that you've learned the most about yourself? And I appreciate Judy's statement of rigorous honesty. <laughs> so Judy or Mary, we'll start out on either end. Well, one of the things um, I've learned about myself is how eager I am to fix everybody and make them perfect like me. We have a group for that. <laughs> of course. Um, but I have a group, too, and that's meeting with people one-on-one -on -one and um, listening to their lives and being challenged by their challenges and recognizing that um, I don't have the answers, that it's not up to me, and that as, uh, as incomplete as I am, as many broken places that 
are still there in me. As many um, sinful attitudes that I still have, God will still use me, and it astounds me. And um, so I've learned that... um, that I don't have the answers. I've learned that he does. I'm often taken aback when somebody will say, you said this to me two years ago or three (laughs) years ago, or when you asked me that question, it changed my life, and I'm going, was I in the room with that one? (laughs) Because I have no memory of it, and and that is even a praise, that you come away leaving it there, leaving it with the Holy Spirit to work out and... So, yeah, I, um, and when I see other people struggling with the issues that I've had in my life or maybe still have, and then I'm just so very humbled that God would use us to help each other. Yeah, Yeah, just, just, it's an incredible privilege. I think in that context as well is being in our community groups, you know, because people, you know, questions are asked, things are said in the context of the group, and oftentimes we begin to see the Lord in a very different way through what other people have seen, you know, and it challenges us all the time. I know for myself, I see a little bit more of who God is through the people that are in the circle, you know, and how they've seen God, and, you know, we help each other in that growth process. Sure. Yeah, I would just echo that. It's it's amazing to me that God would choose to use me. But what a privilege it is to see him transform the lives of other people that you're investing your life in, you know, through you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he gets the glory for that. Yes. The Holy Spirit does the work. Mm-hmm. We are just a channel. I think the other thing it's, it's worked in my heart is really the desire... You know, for the the many people who aren't experiencing the joy of investing their lives in others, um, there's nothing like it. I just, I want to, you know, communicate to people who are maybe more comfortable sitting in the church pew on a Sunday morning that there's more to the Christian life than this. There is uh, giving your life away is what it's all about. I have learned that I am still a flawed individual. Um, but I, I completely embrace that God never makes mistakes. And he didn't make a mistake with the way he formed me or Rick or Mary or any of us. And again, that he will use even our flaws to his good purpose. And that could be in the newcomer who needs to see someone who is, is struggling with the same type of issue. Uh, most importantly, I have learned to trust. And I know I've said that several times, but to me, that's the key. You know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, even though there were very unchristian things going on behind closed doors. Um, but it, so I've always known who God was. But it wasn't until I entered recovery that I started walking with Him on a daily basis. And I just I don't sweat the small stuff. I don't sweat the big stuff. I uh, I just trust that it'll all be okay. And and more will be revealed. And I'm open to it. And um, and I'm okay just the way I am. In fact, um, I've had sponsees say that's what they like most is that the flaws in me that, you know, I still I still march on in spite of them, that God loves me in spite of my flaws. Not, you know, um, he makes no mistakes, but I still do. And I'm constantly being forgiven. 
long as I confess. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, I got to be rigorously honest with him, too. That, uh, that's key for all of us, having to <laughs> yeah, be rigorously yeah. honest with the yeah, Lord. Right. Um, I'm curious, you know, whether there's any last thoughts of what we've talked about that have come to mind that you would like to make sure you get to include. Well, I have one. <laughs> um, if you're a parent, you're a mentor. Mm-hmm. If you uh, have younger friends, you're a mentor. Whether you want to be or not, people are watching your life. And uh, I think it's critical to step into the understanding of that and accept the responsibility of it, that your life uh, doesn't end right here. Your life reaches out into other lives and makes an impact. Um, You don't have to be on the stage. You don't have to be up front have an impact, which is I'm trying to help my young mentee see that in her marriage, she has impact. In her job, she has impact. Now, whether the impact is good, that's another thing, right? right. But, but we are in positions, whether we want to be a formal mentor or just recognize the role that we're playing, even in our friends' lives, that we are mentoring. And um, it's not a scary thing. It's easy and it's hard. Okay? Because it's easy in a in an organic sense to come alongside people and be intentional about what you offer from your life. That you're going to offer openness and vulnerability and honesty. That you intend to share not just the normal stuff of life, but you intend to share the deeper things that the Holy Spirit's working in your life and what what your spiritual journey is all about. And that you can be intentional about caring about those in other people's lives so that certain relationships go beyond how things are going to what is God doing in your soul? What are the things that make you come alive uh, to him, what are the things that deaden that desire to follow him, and how can we pray about those things and to recognize that their their journey is being you know so so Hebrews you know the great cloud of witnesses, and they 're not all dead folks <laughs> that 's not just those standing in glory cheering us on that we have the great cloud of witnesses around us right now, and we are one of those for somebody else or for many others, and we can cheer them on and that 's what mentoring is it 's cheering on uh, those who are in Christ and cheering on those who aren 't to find him to take a step towards him. So that's what I would like to say is get in the game, throw your hat in the ring and um, and live out your life, live it outside so that people who are outside looking in can can say, I'd love to walk some steps with you. Um, Yeah, I will. (laughs) And then. Yeah. And then don't be afraid. (laughs) Then don't be afraid. She's got a step for it. <laughs> Don't be afraid to say to somebody, I've watched your life. I mean, I did this to, um, forget her name. No, I can't. Lautenbach, Maureen. Yeah. Mm. 
she had four boys. I had one that was driving me crazy. And I went to her and I said, I need to get together with you and just talk about what it means to be a mother to a boy. Because I grew up with five girls in my family. And we had male dogs, but they didn't give me any clues about what it was to raise a boy unless it was the mess they made. So, I mean, so we can't be afraid to go to someone else. And if there's no one older, look at your peer group. I mean, my mentor is in Thailand, and she's taught me how to live an intentional, contemplative life with Jesus. And... uh, but we're peer mentors to each other, too. So, But anyway, get close and start caring about somebody's soul. There you go. <laughs> Two things. Yeah. Two things. One is all it takes to be a mentor is that you be one step ahead of your mentee. Right. You do not have to have it all together. And trust me, that means everyone in this room is hereby qualified to be a mentor. Right, somewhere. <laughs> uh, somewhere, yeah. Uh, the second thing is, if prison ministry or other least of these kind of ministries are of interest to you, we actually are having two weeks from today at the 11 o'clock hour, uh, one of the We Reach Out sessions where our team that does Angel Tree, Jail Ministries, Washington County Correction Center, Drug Court, uh, Washington County Justice, uh, Seminary Inside Prison, uh, Bridge Church Mentoring, all these different ministries you could join us at 11 o'clock to find out more about those. Um, yeah, the, the water's fine. Dive on in. It's, uh, you know, and there's a big pool of us in there. Um, so the most fulfilling thing in my entire life is mentoring. Um, you know, it's it's not my work. It's it's none of that. It's it's being of service to others. And we have a saying, in order to keep it, you need to give it away. And so, you know, a lot of the time when I sponsor, it's it's completely selfish on my part because every time I can lead somebody through the process, I'm doing it again myself. Like I said, we're, we're sharing the experience. So, you know, have, leading uh, a woman and or Larry leading a man through the process, we're going through it ourselves and we continue to grow. Um, and I'd say as far as Celebrate Recovery, you know, the um, uh, we wear the Celebrate Recovery shirts, a leadership team, and on the back of it, it says, um, God took my mess and made it his message. And I've seen that with everyone who's gone through the program, that he will take whatever your struggle is, and he will make it a message for someone else who needs to hear it. Um, it's um, and one of the other things I want to encourage people, you know, the, the fact that there's a word recovery and celebrate recovery. Um, I can't tell you how many people they think it's all about drugs and alcohol. We don't even have enough people who struggle with that issue to have a small group for them. I mean, we were talking about people who are from all walks and whatever, and everybody struggles, you know. And of course, on Sunday, everybody's fine, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but but everybody isn't fine, and even if you are, there's someone in your life, and so. You know, it's it's a program for any type of hurt, habit, or hang-up, any type of struggle. Um, and you will meet people who will just go along the journey with you. And even if, if you feel there, there's not a major struggle in your life, it's just, I wish everybody would go through the program. It's that examine life. I mean, how can we truly improve and be of full service to God if we haven't taken the time? to examine ourselves and see, you know, what he sees with us. And because these two have given 
um, advertisement. I was just going to. <laughs> um, starting next week, I mean, if you feel like a little bit inhibited about, you know, meeting with people, knowing how to listen and and ask questions and so on, then starting next week, Hunger for More Part 2, which is going deeper in relationships, we're going to be working on the skills, the attitudes, uh, the basic foundation for building the kind of relationships that are safe and healthy, where you can invest in others and feel confident in how you do so. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up for that, there's a clipboard out on the sign-up table, or you can sign up online. And we still have room for you. And okay. there's a synergy between ministries. So, Absolutely. You know, if, if a man or a woman comes into CR and they are in huge crisis and they need someone who can devote hours to them, then I will tend to say, why why don't you check out Soul Care first That's and right. be with someone who can spend hours? Because in our small group, I'm going to give you three minutes so the timer goes off, right? And then you meet with your sponsor if you need more. Um, and so I kind of see like... Um, soul care and some of the other ministries addressing an issue, um, you know, intensely, and then CRB in your support group That's right. for ongoing. That's right. And there's also in the examined life of everybody's plugging, I'm plugging too. Um, in January, there is the hunger for more, which is um, knowing self and knowing God. And that's all about the examined life, getting to understand what that looks like. So we're out of time. I hope that you've all come away with this with some level of a nudge of what the Lord may be saying to you. Maybe it's time for you to step out and seek a mentor. Maybe it's time for you to be just one step ahead of another person and offer what God has given to you to that person. Regardless, I want to thank our panelists. You guys really articulate. Very well done. They've agreed to stay around for a few minutes, except, except for Mary. Um, so if you have specific questions um, about mentoring, maybe, you know, just deal with those first together. But if you have specific ones related to a ministry, I'm sure they'll be willing to answer those as well. So with that, I just want to close us in prayer and just say thank you, Lord, for your presence with us, for how you articulated through Mary and Rick and Judy. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us in this room that you have nudged in a particular way. I pray, Lord, that we will take what you have given to us, even this morning, the days and weeks that have happened before, and even to what even happens later on today, and that, Lord, we would say yes to you and step out in a different way. Lord, it's for the sake of your name that any one of us want to do this, the joy of what it is that you have done in every one of our lives. And for the sake of your kingdom come, we pray in your name and with such joy and thanksgiving. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you.